right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. It's another Tuesdays with Caroline. Welcome to the podcast. off the bat let's go ahead and talk about failure <laughs> <laughs> when you attempt to do the intro four yeah. times yes. and it's like actually today's not my day <laughs> yeah today's yeah. not my day yeah, it's all right we gotta one of these days caroline we'll get you you'll 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 nail it it less thinking just the words come out you yep. know yeah you'll get it you'll get it you just what you this gotta a great do great summary of my life <laughs> <laughs> yes. You gotta you gotta go back and watch episodes like one through four Ugh. and like how just listen to those intros and then it'll make you feel better about yeah. yourself because you can watch our growing pains Ugh. then too. Yeah, I know. So you're so you're saying you're just gonna put post a compilation one day of all of the intros that oh. Carlo botched? Oh the uh the blooper reel has already begun. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yes. Good. I'm just uh I'm I'm waiting. Uh, until the right moment. Yeah, when it feels, yeah, you got to pop it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's just a running uh, edit yeah. list. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, awesome. a, it's its own sequence. It's yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. See, that's the danger of us, like, basically recording precast content, you know, where it's like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it's. I think it's fantastic, and it'll be a great uh, way to get us a five-minute worth of laugh yeah. when I have five minutes worth of stuff. But. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So anyway, here we are. Now that we're back, um, we kind of had a couple different ideas about how to run today. But I think coming off of um, the last uh, Tuesday with Caroline, we kind of were talking a bit more about failure and, um, you know, what that means, of course, in the workplace, but also in a environment in which there's an education system, not necessarily a reprimand system, sort of how the expectation is when you have failure can kind of propel you forward. Um while Caroline has not had the opportunity to listen to the podcast that, um, of course, today we're recording this on a Tuesday. There's a podcast going to come out in a couple of days. Um, in that podcast, we actually, uh, Caroline, just for your reference, uh, we're starting to go through the star chart, um, mm-hmm. and uh, which, uh, you, uh, of course, I know you know, but uh, just so everyone else here knows, um, <clears throat> on the uh, education system, of course, we have on uh pawhealth.net slash podcast uh, coming into pages, I think uh, three, four, and five is our uh, star chart. We actually have that up in the clinic. So we have them on. Yeah, big, we have them on big. I had to look between the pages to watch you do surgery the other day. Yes. <laughs> and here I thought it was like, oh, we had a poster. Like, yeah, I had to look at the poster. I'm like, oh, please do tell. How did you use it? Oh, I'm sorry. They were just in your way. Oh, yeah, they were just in my way. <laughs> yeah. What was I doing? Was that, 19, was that the 19 rock dog? Yes, yeah, it was the 19th, yeah, rock, 19th dog. rock dog. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, so in uh, our uh, actual like formal podcast, not kind of the ones we have are having between uh, Tuesdays, Caroline, so on and so forth, um, is we're actually running through the star chart. So we're starting to talk about um, the first one. We have actually recorded a previous podcast on performance and potential, um, but we kind of elaborated upon that performance and potential grid. Um, and I don't know if necessarily you would know it from memory, um, but basically, Basically, on the performance and potential grid, we have, um, you know, the problem child, the star player, the backbone, and the iceberg. Um, And basically, what we had talked about um, in the podcast, or at least identified in the podcast, is that, you know, we have really high-performing... employees, um, you know, basically there's two different ways is you have a high performing employee that has a high amount of potential. And in this particular setting, potential is described as one's ability to carry forward tier four of our education system, which is professional advancement. So that's either individual advancement or um, industrial advancement. So industrial advancement is kind of what you and I have been talking about, at least kind of behind yeah. the scenes, was where are you going with your career? What kind of an impact do you want to make? You know, that's all sort of the industry type investment, uh, or I'm sorry, um, advancement. Um, so that's kind of that star player type category. But we kind of started to talk about in the podcast was how um, every new employee, and in this is not even, uh, even for, you know, potentially as being a new business owner, or being a new uh, endeavor or a new, uh, just any, anything new, any new project, pretty much everyone starts out in this world in which they have relatively low performance, but they have a high amount of potential. So everyone starts out as a problem child because a problem child is defined as low performance, but really, really high potential. So um, 
as we make that swing up into star player, which is high performance, high potential, and we come back into then saying, well, over time, one of the analogies we've used before is, you know, we have the wagons moving west, but some people stay to build a town. Um, that's then essentially what the backbone is. The backbone has a high amount of performance, but not a lot of potential in sort of ongoing industrial advancement. And we split a backbone into two main categories. We said, if you are working in an organization where you have a high amount of potential performance but a low amount of potential it comes down to are you fulfilled because mm -hmm. if you are in, a, in an environment where you have a high amount of performance and a low amount of potential but you are in, incredibly fulfilled with what you do that'll be a job that you'll be happy with for the rest of your life whereas if you are in an environment where you have a high amount of performance but you have a low amount of potential because there is a barrier preventing you from becoming a star player. Mm -hmm. You can't get ahead. You can't get forward. You can't advance yourself. You can't advance um, the industry and you are not gaining fulfillment from your, from your job because you can't get into the star player category. You are an unfulfilled backbone and unfulfilled backbones are essentially what we identified as being sort of the dead end job where it's, yeah. I can do my job really well. I have a great rapport with clientele and staff and I have good culture management, but I'm not fulfilled with what I do. So the, the mm -hmm. one last swing is you drop down in your performance and you become an iceberg. Yep. You can't get anywhere. So your performance is going to fall off because you're not fulfilled with your job. And then that's just it. You're just collecting a paycheck. Yeah. Another. Yeah. We, I remember us talking about all this because one, I was really excited that I was in your uh, tier four category. I was like, Ooh, what does that mean? <laughs> oh yeah. On our last phone call. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. You've been in tier four for about seven months now. Uh, only oh. having realized okay. it like a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing, I don't remember, but Basically, yeah, I've I've had several dead end jobs, so I I, I, uh, I get I get it. I, I feel that. So let's <laughs> let, let's talk about the you know Ben of course has some, but let's let's talk about it from, from a few different perspectives because we kind of talked about that yeah. with Katie as she had been corporate, she had been privately owned, so she actually saw working in a traditional practice, but working in corporate medicine, that there was sort of civil, similar unnecessary conflict and similar inefficient process uh, for different reasons, but they were both there in both settings. Um, you, mm -hmm. have, you have a, also a very unique experience, which I think is very common actually for a lot of uh, kind of young veterinary professionals, um, is that, you know, let's expand upon that, is you had uh, the experience of being in a quote-unquote dead-end job uh, where it was more traditional, you couldn't actually become a star player. Um, but then you also have a circumstance where you moved into a privately owned practice who then sold corporate. So you actually mm -hmm. have actually a very, you know, like I said, a unique perspective in saying you kind of saw it from a couple of different ways. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that is at least worth elaborating on from a conversation standpoint. Um, but more so, I remember one of the very first conversations you and I had was once you found out that your employer was selling corporate, one of your first questions was, well, what do I expect? You know, like yeah. what, like what now? And right. essentially my answer Whoa. to that was yes. Up right there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, just to, um, just to elaborate that, I mean, I certainly, you know, feel free, but I mean, I think the, you know, to, to see that swing, you know, from saying mm -hmm. new employee to then trying to become a star player, but then there's just these barriers in front of you. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, when we look at our big issues within our profession, at least on in our industry overview, and we talk about self-worth, we talk about hierarchy, we talk about inefficient process. Um, I mean, what's your perspective on sort of our take on performance potential dead end jobs, but then how that sort of impacted one, your decision professionally, um, but then also kind of your mindset from where you were to two years ago to where your mindset is now? Yeah. So I think, well, so my first job that I had out in California was very oddly structured. Um, so we technically were um, employees of Patterson companies, like the equipment oh, really? dealer. Oh, yeah. Weird. Okay. Um, I got hired by Animal Health International and while I was there, uh, our company got bought out by Patterson. And how that sort of came about is that I told, I talked to Carlo quite a bit about Paul Blackmere. So he was the veterinarian that started, um, basically he, he was like very, um, 
he was a very aggressive businessman back in like the eighties and starting up these, uh, this milk quality, um, clinic and what he went to the California dairymen and proposed is basically that they would get all of their veterinary work, all their milk quality and all of their chemicals they would purchase through him. And so I can't remember who came in first, if it was Walco or another company, but basically like some corporate entity approached him and they, they basically wanted to buy the business aspect. Um, and they got along with it, these veterinarians and this milk quality lab and the, the chemical and drug sale aspect of the clinic kept getting bought by bigger and bigger entities. Cause once it became part of Walco, then it became part of whomever, and then it became part of Animal Health International, and then eventually Patterson. Gotcha. And so, so this like little clinic kept getting like tacked on to these like larger and larger corporations. And so it was very odd. And when we finally did get purchased by Patterson, um, some of the like head executives came to visit with me and my boss at the time and like sat us down and talked about, cause they wanted to replicate the system. They were like, you guys are making money like hand over fist, like for whatever your inputs are and all that stuff. And so we want to try and duplicate this in other areas and how do we do that and whatnot and whatever. And so I think at the time, like, especially being that I was a new graduate, um, I think I had, I probably had both a lot of potential and a lot of, uh, performance performance because I was still I was still figuring out like even the day-to-day like routine veterinary stuff I didn't have a lot of um you at least had had high potential yeah yeah that's the whole idea you don't have to be like a maximized performance I mean you're growing and you're it's a a growth mindset so even yeah if you were learning skills that's fine yeah yeah of course yeah right and so they had approached had approached each of us and my boss at the time had no interest her uh like ideas and whatever were elsewhere she had basically hit her brick wall and was looking at like how could she um how could she like move on and grow in the industry and so her headspace was elsewhere and they kind of approached me and at that point I was I was like I was very overwhelmed and there was other like just personal personal life decisions being so far away from family and all of that I was like I feel like I'm getting in over my head and I just can't like I need to take take it back a step yeah (laughs) take it down a notch well no Um, that's yeah and that's super common I think you know not to completely interrupt your story but it's like you know most employers or most managerial systems are going to be looking who's immediately in front of them. Like, Hey, can you take the reins? Yeah. Hey, can you, Hey, can you, I mean, right. you're here now, can you do this? You know, it's just like, because that's that, what a recruitment strategy, you know, it's like, it, right. It's like we talk about how in the veterinary profession, uh, we often fail twice when it comes to management is we have our best performing technician and that best performing technician is the best you're going to find in what she does. And it's like, hey, you're kind of my right hand tech. You want to come be an office manager now? Right. You know, and it's like you, yeah. you you then take your best technician and you create a void because that position is now going to be filled by someone else who is potentially less competent. Um, and then you take your best technician, you put them into a position for which they have no training and then and you don't have an education system in place in order to teach them the ropes, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's like that. That's why I say we fail twice in many circumstances. Um, so for you to, you know, well, you know, what are you? And it's, you know, you should take this. And it's like you feel overwhelmed. Like, yeah, that's a substantial amount of responsibility. Like that close to being out of school. Um, similarly, I had a, a thing where when I was still in veterinary school, uh, there was an issue with one of the humane societies. I was actually just doing a three week externship at. They had this whole quarantine thing and it was a big problem they had to call a bunch of animals and um basically the veterinarian had quit because they needed a head to roll and Uh they basically came up to me and they were like so what are your thoughts about working in a shelter full-time and i'm like bro Mm -hmm. i'm i am in vet school right now like it's it's actually relatively inappropriate for us to be having this conversation anyway you know but yeah so it's uh not to completely interject on your story but it's like that happens a lot where it's like we're yeah. we're put into these circumstances that we're uncomfortable with, which actually can end up scaring us out the door, um, and, yeah. and lead to potential missed opportunity. Yeah, it's sort of like it's funny because what you're describing is sort of like the Peter Principle. It's like the whole idea that like you keep in a corporate system, you keep getting promoted until you reach a level where you're incompetent 
and can no longer be promoted. What was the principal's name? The Peter Principal. Never heard never of that. Heard that. You never heard yeah. of it. No. I, so I've simply the, referred to it as failure of uh, corporatization, where it's yeah. like you you keep moving up until, like you said, there's a certain level of incompetence what you get there, but then you want to keep your job, so you you know essentially end up having less competent people under you to make your your performance look better. So that's yeah. that's a pretty common corporate environment. And that's why we're so adamant about focusing on our education system and having our corporate tiers not on hierarchy but on support. So for us, it's uh, administration yeah. is below, supporting the employees above. So Peter system. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. yeah. So here I'll read it to you. The Peter principle is a concept in management developed developed by Lawrence J. Peter, which observes that people in a hierarchy tend to rise to their level of incompetence. Mm-hmm. An employee is promoted based on their success in a previous job until they reach a level at which they are no longer competent as the skill in one job do not, does not necessarily translate to another. Oh, my God. I don't have to say we fail twice anymore. I can say it's the Peter Principle. <laughs> you can just say it's the Peter Principle. Yeah. See, I love that. I love when I say something that I'm like, well, clearly this is what it is. And then, like, well, now this is the first time, Caroline, you've had that opportunity. But a lot of times Ben is like, hey, they have a whole book on that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, awesome. I mean, there is a book on it. Yeah. So there <laughs> yeah. we go. Caroline, you get your first. Uh, there's a book on that. I love Yay. it. Yay. That's awesome. Yeah, we actually, so, um, I've actually yeah. talked to my mom about that a couple times too. Um, in that, uh, she's a, a, high, a very a potent producer, not a good manager, but um, she's been in mm-hmm. her position so long that they want her to be in management constantly, and she yeah. keeps having to tell them no. <laughs> Yeah, because it's like no, it's I'm not good at that yeah. at all. Yeah. I will exclusively fail, yeah. and I, I I don't train that well or whatever you know, yeah. or whatever it might be. It's just like why why do that? Yeah. Well, that's a carrot on right. the stick. Yeah. It's, it's the carrot on the stick. So yeah. your mom simply isn't following the carrot, right? You know, but for right. us, it's like you know when we have the Peter principle uh, apply <laughs> to uh, you know a, ve- a veterinary clinic, right, or a veterinary setting where we already know we're underpaying most of our staff, and it's yeah. like, hey, if you move into management, the carrot on the stick is you're going to make X dollars more, you're going to have right. uh, you know potential yeah. benefits or whatever it is. So there's a high incentive for staff to move out of their comfort zone into an uncomfortable or what you know you have identified as an incompetent place mm-hmm. um, the main difference for us and our organization is that if that scenario occurs we have an entire system to support that employee right so it's mm-hmm. we we won't necessarily allow a level of sustained incompetence because what we're talking about right. is when you move into a new position you're a problem child it's high performance i'm sorry i'm sorry it's a high potential low performance for us we just have a constant feedback system you know between 515s and traction to our quarter uh, i'm sorry our um, uh, twice a year reviews um, basically so we don't perpetuate the peter system in uh, you know uh, in that capacity so uh but yeah yeah carry on actually that okay. kind of plays right into the thing so as you were telling your story i was kind of uh drawing out uh a continuation of what we were talking about on the last podcast so yeah uh, we were we talked about this uh how basically uh, employers set you up for situations similar to the one that you had described in 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 ending up in dead end jobs um mm-hmm. and how you you hire people based on potential, uh, but then, um, you know, you want to push them up in performance, but, um, situations like your story and the, the looks like the concept of this Peter principle, um, what those do <laughs> is, uh, actually uh, is generates a system that creates dead end jobs. And what we mean by that is if you think so potential on the X axis performance on the Y axis, um, the, there's a wall on, um, the, the, the potential side. So basically you, you can't get up into star player status because of antiquated business practices and a lack of infrastructure. So you might have a ton of potential, but you actually don't have the capacity based on the the environment that you are in to realize said potential. So you can be the potential silver bullet, but you're never going to actually be able to realize it because of those two variables. All right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's actually what we're kind of referring to. So we have people that know in a lot of cases they have a high level of potential, 
but they can't realize it. And that ultimately, you know, starts to limit their performance. But let's say that they can, you know, they, they stick it out and be, they become a solid backbone. Well, now you're in low potential, high performance. And then you've got all these other variables of disparagement, hierarchy, deteriorating skill sets, uh, you know, a, a failed bond spectrum alignment, a loss of self-worth as kind of, we refer to it as the boot on top of your head yeah. that's pushing you down mm-hmm. into being an iceberg. So not only can you um, utilize your own potential, but now you're being pushed down and down yeah. and down. And I think that's where this Peter principle comes in because you see the hierarchy as the thing that's pushing you down. But if you can climb it, right. you yeah. might be able to yeah. maintain a high level of performance because yeah. you are a high potential type person, yeah. but you're never actually going to be a star player. No. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, I'm literally just having this thought yeah, right not, now. Yeah, like it, it, yeah, in real time. In real time, notes. yes. Uh, but no, that's you're exactly right. So you have this boot, and everyone defines the boot a different way. Like you said, yeah. between disparagement and kind of these other things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's then a matter of saying on that backbone. It's it, it backbone comes back to a matter of fulfillment. Yes. So right. it's, you mm-hmm. have these boots that are pushing you down. And I think one of the examples we had used um, on, on the, the uh, well, at this point, it's going to be last week's podcast. Um, one of it is when you start to move things over to the numbers. So, you you know, yeah. one of the one of the big boots when you have um, a backbone who is fulfilled in their job um, for us as veterinarians, a massive boot is if you start to move into one of these corporate settings where it's like, what's your numbers? What's your, uh, you know, yeah. uh, you know, what are you generating? What's your production? Oh, my God. Now you're a negative accrual. It's like you can you can actually take these these actually fulfilled backbones. And as we start to lose culture, core value, but also purpose incentive, you know, then you're going to start to lose fulfillment. So you're actually kicking your backbones over into kind of having these dead end jobs. And then you just completely demolish their performance into icebergs when you take away their purpose. So like that's, that's the boot. It's like a kick and a stomp, (laughs) you know, where, um, you know, you get them sort of in that setting. So, um, uh, but yeah, yeah. So that's, I think a little bit of elaboration on that principle. Another another thing you can add into that, too, is um, there are uh, three primary uh, uh, philosophical ideas about how people gain fulfillment in their life. The one that we focus on is purpose. Uh, I think that's the most effective one. Um, But there's so that's uh, Nietzsche. There's Freud, who is uh, the pursuit of pleasure. And then I don't remember the other guy's name. But it's the pursuit of power. So it's the it's the it's the oh. the three the three P's of of uh, perp, of uh, gaining fulfillment in life. Sure. Um, so actually, that's what you're referring to. Is it's it's a it's a shift in dynamic because I think um, inherently um, in 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 the the environment that we operate in, we tend to attra- the veterinary profession tends to attract more altruistic people. It tends right. to attract yeah. more people focused. Um, friendly you know if you listen to uh the one where we go through the tricor it's the high is people high altruism high empathy tend to be a little bit heavier on the softer traits uh that's going to push for um fulfillment in purpose and pleasure not necessarily power but really heavy on purpose so our industry Mm -hmm. is going to focus pretty heavily on that the traditional uh, practice setup um, back before it started to crumble probably maximized on that pretty heavily. On so altruism. on the altruism yeah, and just like that you gain purpose in, in fulfillments in this setting, you know, one-to-one relationships with caregivers, yeah. Yeah. right? Like well, were, it was, it was before it was substantially before money became the talk. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah because right. It, was, it never it, came into the discussion. It was, it was at that it's point. Your, it's your James Harriet. Yes. Correct. Basically. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And plus even for those small animal practices, it was still top bonded. Right. So you still were already yeah. focusing on the top 20% of clientele, yes. but culturally it wasn't anything other than that. Right. So, That's all you had. Yeah. Because culturally the people who fell into not the top 20% weren't going to the vet anyway. Yeah. So it's now we've, right. we've bled into saying, well, culturally we don't have the top 20%. Culturally we have the top 80%, but we still have a business that is focusing on the top 20%. Right. So then that gap of 60% essentially is now the reason why we're starting to lose altruism or not that we're losing altruism but that our altruism is starting to get kicked and stomped right it's it's is, just it's the, becoming, the focus isn't on 
on it anymore. Correct. And that's yep. I think that's what the corporatization does is it focus it, it focuses the uh, it focuses you away from purpose and it focuses you on to the other two of pleasure. So basically individual um uh, compensation, Money. right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then power is, yep. is climbing hierarchy is yeah. actually becoming mm-hmm. the boot. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. When in fact it, it goes against, I think what a lot of us are hardwired into. And that's why it is. It, that's, you know, I think it was in, it was actually in the, the video that is going up tomorrow. Yeah, right. uh, and actually tomorrow for everyone that's listening to this was last Wednesday, <laughs> but we're in the future. <laughs> I know, yes. yeah. uh, and we talked about how corporate medicine really just doesn't have a place. And that's why. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. And I think, you know, I, 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 I for as much as we sort of um, kind of speak ill of sort of the corporate culture, corporate model, sort of what it is and how we feel it has no place in the veterinary profession, um, I say that, um, and I just only want to clarify this one point, is that is not to disparage those veterinarians who currently work in corporate medicine. Mm-mm. That's that mm-hmm. is not the point of the conversation. Because I, I want to, yeah. I, I only want to say that because I think we have the opportunity to feel to make veterinarians and veterinary professionals feel as if they are disparaged if they work in those environments. Yep. They're simply a casualty of the war. Yes, that's that's yeah. what it is. Yep. Um, and we say well it, and. Yeah. And Carlo, you had mentioned this to me when, when we were talking on the phone the other day, you were like, you don't have to achieve your purpose through your job. Like sure. you can work, yeah. you can work in corporate and yeah. you can, you know, Find basically yeah. enjoy your job enough that you fulfill your purpose elsewhere, whether that be raising a family or, you know, extracurriculars or whatever you're doing outside of your job. Like go become a yoga instructor right, and then work right. your work your regular like eight to five job. I guess I don't know if that makes if it means you become an iceberg basically, but but like uh, there can, shouldn't be a you uh, can do that as a backbone status yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, you can do it actually at any level. Yeah, because you're not losing fulfillment. Right. You you're just right. not you're not just not gaining fulfillment from your job. Yeah. So right. Yeah. Yeah. The the then it's actually you know unfulfilled might not even be the best word, but it's actually like a removal. Sure. So it's it's it, there's definitely the neutral status of being you know. Kind of like unfulfilled but is it is it a positive fulfillment or a negative sure. right yeah mm-hmm. so um you know my my wife although she is nowhere near the veterinary industry is a pretty good example where you know she does she goes to work she works part-time yeah. but like not life's fulfillment for her does not come from work uh, there you go so right, it, it, right. and that's the altruistic nature of i think your veterinary professionals right. in this industry is yep. it's the like the flip yeah you know so yep. yeah, yeah. Which, which again which not to say your wife should be having altruism about the profession or jobbing which yeah. she has it's not right. a judgment of saying because she doesn't have it it's just it just is and you, like you had said it before, it trends towards altruism in the veterinary industry. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. we have so many different barriers to kick and stomp it out of us. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. So when you talk about like, well, what are your numbers, right? Right. Like that's the, I, that's the I, end of that job. Less than ten percent of people, like just yeah. as a gut reaction, uh, that we've I've seen assessments on across all levels and positions within our company, yeah, are economically motivated. It's sure. I am the minority. Yeah. Yes. Big yep. time. Yeah, like yeah, I, it, it, I I think mine was like it was low between economic yeah. and and uh, I can't remember if it's political. power or political. political. Yeah. yeah, my those were my two lowest. Yeah. <laughs> Let's look. Yeah. I I do have it. They up. were basically yeah. they were basically negligent at that yes. or like like they were yeah. So someone can have a zero. Caroline somehow got into the negative. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, but honestly, I think having um, just to remind everyone, the economic indicator um, is basically return on investment. Yep. Um, so that might actually be one of I don't want to say barrier, but that in some capacity could end up being a barrier to entrepreneurial mindset. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. is that you may not actually find the value of investing yourself and time into a new idea because you're not driven for the return. Right. So, you know, so that may actually be kind of when we were in the clinic, uh, was it yesterday? I said, you are gearing towards sort of this tier four, you know, and when it comes time that I have to teach you traction or whatever else, um, you know, so I was like, I get to learn something. Yes. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> basically, the conversation ended with you have to get out of your own way. 
you know, uh, at least in, yeah. in, in some regard, is it very, it very well may be trying to flex that muscle on just understanding, you know, and I think what it's going to help with is starting to recognize being in that dead end job, being in a, uh, a position in which you are unfulfilled, that may actually drive you more towards having a higher economic motivator with the proper mm-hmm. mentorship. Meaning if you have, yeah. if you don't have a high economic motivator and you're stuck in a dead end job, you know, it may be, uh, you know, the recommendation is just trying to run to another problem, yeah. you know, I mean, but with proper mentorship, yeah. it's not you're running to a problem, you're running towards a solution. The, the right. way that I've worded that in the past is when you have a low motivator, um, what it will typically be is, uh, especially for economic, I will seek a return on investment if it will feed one of my high motivators. So for you, Caroline, mm-hmm. being higher aesthetic, higher individualistic, higher... Th- massively high theoretical and then also higher on altruism you if if the if those are being detracted your it is it is possible that you will actually um inflate temporarily that desire for a return because you're feeling um a removal of investment essentially in that you're putting Mm -hmm. your time in to feed your higher motivators and it's being um basically manipulated and taken away from you so you can you can actually engage low motivators when necessary again we're dynamic people um but it's typically in the event that you need to um reestablish the boundaries to maintain the things that do actually motivate you. Yeah. I think it's like, it's to some extent, cause Carla was talking, you were talking about this with Katie where like Katie basically went in and was like pitching all these ideas for things and, and trying to make changes and suggestions and whatever, yeah. and just not even shot down, but just like flat out ignored. Yeah. Yeah. You and don't, you that- don't know because you're not an owner. Right. And that's kind of the same, like the same deal with me too. And I think that's where the frustration comes in because like Ben said, I'm, I'm trying to feed some of those other, my other motivators and I'm not getting any acknowledgement or any, any return on my investment. And so it's like, why, why am I even bothering kind of thing? So, yeah. Well, and you also have uh, a unique, um, pattern of variables as well where you are in you're an ic behavioral pattern yep. like myself you're ex, you're in 98 out of 100 theoretical so always asking why always want seeking to learn <laughs> well that makes sense no <laughs> uh, i wish you, I, I wish i had known that like three months ago no uh, i'm just kidding what? i'm just kidding you i'm just known kidding that like two years ago <laughs> no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding he's just re-remembering <laughs> yes yeah. Uh, you you actually lead with practical thinking, although you do have all three that are above seven, so they're all definitely there. It's just that's the top one. But the one that is actually the kicker in this instance is um, you're very you have a very high number on role awareness. So what that means is that um, the uh, the guidelines to success for you you appreciate and in a lot of times uh, require a high level of specificity in how to succeed. So like Mm. you are one that would appreciate a very long job description. Somebody that is low on role awareness is going to be like, give me the two or three things you want me to do. I'll go ahead and just figure it out. Um, A different, uh, different people, you know, tend to look at those things different ways. So when you pair that with high theoretical, as well as a high C, which is a down attention to detail or level of, of critical nature, um, a lot of times what that's going to be is especially in an environment of limited role awareness. So if you're given a set of variables, that's A, B, C, D, here's how you succeed. You're going to continue to ask why or am I succeeding? Because you're going to mm-hmm. be very critical of the situation. You're you're just naturally curious, and you you don't really have the full level of uh, a definition in your path to success. So you have to create it yourself, which creates that self dialogue that you've been talking about. You know, with with us on and off on the podcast here uh, yeah. of like, am I actually doing it? Right. Type thing, right? Right. And, yeah. 
Yep. And, and I would say that, um, larger corporate environments, um, or, you know, I should say just different environments. Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter how they come about, but, um, some environments will be able to feed different variables, different ways. I don't know if you'll ever find a scenario that's going to ever quell, you know, that type of a pattern to the point where it's, where you're just, comfortable and stable. Um, you know, that is something that you have to acknowledge the, the strengths of that. Cause there are some major strengths in that pattern. You are constantly self-analyzing and seeking to improve, but mm-hmm. that also comes with, you're constantly analyzing yeah. <laughs> and it's a paralysis by analysis <laughs> potential. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that paralysis by analysis. You know, yeah. I have that. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, and the other thing that plays into that is depending on how well you handle that, that can be something that is a very stressful, uh, set of variables as well, which would push you more into your adaptive, which, um, pushes your S way down. So not only are you stressed out, you also start to feel frantic. Oh, okay. So, so did you want to, did you want to yeah. bring this tricore to your next, uh, uh, therapy session? Possibly. Yeah. Actually. Actually, what's funny is I did I did email it to my last therapist, but I don't know if she understood half of it. <laughs> probably, probably not. So, no. yeah. probably not. Yeah. 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 Ben, um, ben does a good job of the interconnectedness of all those items. Yeah. No, it's just interesting because I I like that that franticness. Mm-hmm. I can pinpoint that moment almost exactly, and it's like when. I'm at the clinic and three different people are asking me something at the same time and I have to go hang on. And then I go in the other room. Like I do like a, like a, like a literal, and (laughs) just I have to put my head down and just start somewhere. Yeah. And I get really frustrated if people try to interrupt that process because I, I have to like, take it back down a notch where I can get back to a level where I'm, I'm like functioning again. Yeah. But, but that's, that's there, actually, there yeah, I was gonna say, but that's not exclusively something that is your fault. I mean, we right. have been attempting to teach and maintain triage process so that when a doctor comes out of an education room and we have to at least, you know, cause I, I it, it actually kind of stemmed from me. Like if I cross through like two different door thresholds, there's going to be a good chance I'm going to be nearing forgetting what I just talked about. <laughs> um, so then it's met with like a slam of like four different questions and I need this and I need this and I need this and I need this. It's like, bro, yeah. like, let me, let me, get my stuff on paper before you start talking and if there's someone standing at our bar which is kind of our triage bar we have patient clipboards if someone's just randomly staring there i'm like standing there i'm like what are you doing in my space like (laughs) get out of here scoot over there's no reason for you to be here now i have to engage you and i'm going to definitely forget what i just was doing which truthfully is then what birthed our um, green sheets and our blue sheets and our yellow sheets is making notations while you're in the room with the people before you leave so that you can, first of all, track your own informed consent when you have to type records a few hours later, but then also make sure you don't miss something when you get back into central triage. Um, so yes, uh, Caroline, I guess in, in one respect, it's me apologizing and just saying, I'm sorry that you're uh, experiencing that, but it's not particular. We, we acknowledge it's a problem. It's just not by design. Well, yeah, and I would say that we've all been operating at, like, 150% capacity <laughs> lately. So I think it's just, like, for for, for the level of stress in the yeah, system, yeah. we're going to have those moments. Yeah. And actually, I feel like we cope fairly well. Yes, so, yes. And, and, and me, yesterday, at, at, like, coming back to GP practice and having it, like, <clears throat> like implode on a Monday because... <laughs> I'm superstitious. I'm superstitious. So the whole full full moon, Friday the thirteenth, like that whole sure. thing, I totally yeah, I buy into that. But <laughs> yesterday was like a prime example of that. And again, I feel like I, because I almost get like before my like head pops off my body and starts like you know, uh, exorcism like spinning around. It it like energizes energizes me briefly, and I mm-hmm. get like a little like boost of speed um now you're you're getting the addiction caroline yeah (laughs) it can be be kind of frustrating too because your your mind works faster than your body and so you're trying to execute tasks at like 
like a level that you're like, but I just wish I could write faster or right. I just wish I could run faster. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But, See, and then, was, yes. And then you meet that with our uh, model of having one to six. So it's one veterinarian to six medical support staff. Yep. You know, that, yeah. that's the ultimate goal for us, not including clerical staff. Cause actually the clerical process is com- almost entirely independent to the veterinary team. I mean, really, you make yeah. sure patients yeah. come in and checking out yeah. so on and so forth. But yep. at least as far as yep. like the medical direction that a veterinarian needs to provide, that's how you start running faster. And then the addiction gets right. worse where you're like, <laughs> oh man, I just ran through 30 cases in that 10 hour time period. That felt fantastic. Right. Yeah. Can I make it 35? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, right. um, and we're talking yeah. not a numbers game on quantity. We're talking about maintaining a high level of quality with right. the quantity. That's the addiction. Right. Because if you, and, and this is where how many, it's how many plates can you keep spinning in the air at the same time? A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what it is. Um, and that, and that's the fun part. That's why, again, for us, we're scaling up the way that we are. And uh, again, we have to get the diagram online. I did take a picture of it and I will develop it, uh, but (laughs) it'll be, um, it'll be up. Uh, it will be, uh, um, (laughs) is the quantity and quality, uh, grid on the quantity and quality grid. One of the things that identified is if that you are in a practice where it is relatively low quality and relatively low quantity, the first thing you want to do is get your quality high. You don't want to take on additional quantity until quality goes up because when mm-hmm. you have a high level of quality, you have a natural growth process where quantity is going to increase. Un marketed, non-engaged growth is going to happen as quality goes up. So if you look at the model where it's like, okay, quality goes up and then quantity starts to increase, your quality is naturally going to drop simply because quantity is increasing naturally. You're not trying to, you're just seeing more cases because you're doing a better job. That's, Mm -hmm. That's basically been our model is saying that as quantity goes up, I'm already planning on quality coming down. So all we have to do is just plan to increase and maintain quality once quantity increases. So that's this that's the design that you are essentially seeing and working in, Caroline, is like, yes, we want to get to that addiction point where it's like, oh my God, I just ran through qual- like 30 high quality cases in a 10 hour time period. And it's, mm-hmm. I can't think about anything else other than going back to work. Cause that was awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, you know, so that, that, that's, that, that, that's uh that plays almost directly into kind of where this started too, because that's what that, that feeding, that desire is just fulfillment. Yeah. Right. Yep. Like yeah. to be able to do that, to, to fulfill high quantity and high quality for many, many people across many types of values too, uh, right? Sure. Can be very, very fulfilling. There's yeah. actually not much, I mean, it probably hits five of them where I know it hits aesthetic, right? Because you, you created harmony, right? Uh, right In yeah. medical care, yep. it hits economic because you're really just hammering out numbers. Yep. It hits yep. the- theoretical because you're seeing a higher caseload because, and you're learning yep. more. Like it, yeah. it, it hits well, a lot of different stuff. And they're complicated cases. It's not like it's anywhere from like, you know, geriatric pets with multiple chronic diseases to like a laceration repair. Right. So it's, yeah. So I guess let me, uh, not to, uh, let me just kind of twist that just a little bit. So, um, Mm -hmm. you had a Monday explosion in not in Mm -hmm. our setting in a different practice to then say, okay, look at how we ran out like Saturday, like Saturday for you and Katie was absolute bonkers. Um, (laughs) but can you compare sort of those two things like your crazy Monday versus the crazy Saturday? So Monday in a different clinic, Saturday in our clinic, um, would you be able to draw some type of correlation between, uh, the amount of cases that we saw to the, you know, the quality or sort of the engagement or, I mean, what, what was your perspective on those two different settings? Well, it was it was definitely interesting trying to like integrate some of the like paw like the spinning plates sure. in, into like into like a very structured system. Mm-hmm. Yep. And not not that our system isn't structured, but it's all triage based. Yep. And 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 in a and in a typical GP practice, it's all appointment time based. Yep. So and so, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, yep. So so the 
part of the difficulty with that is that like the person that's making the decisions for how much time you have to work with this critically ill patient is all based off of what the owner says on the phone when they call and how much time the receptionist chooses to give you. The doctor plays no part in that triage order. Sure. Yep. And so that was, I got kind of lucky yesterday because one of my very critically ill patients that I was managing came in just before lunch. And so I had extra time to like bleed over into the lunch period but it meant that, like, my technician, who was supposed to have her break and her lunch, didn't get her full lunch break. And so, um, so obviously, you, like... you did just break Ben's brain, by the way. Yeah, can we go back? <laughs> Ben's, like, rubbing no. his eyes and head. He's just like, and I'm just yeah. shaking my head at him. Yes. So, context. Uh, this is, Caroline, you're already aware of this, but for those that are listening <laughs> or watching... Um, I have zero experience in other veterinary <laughs> clinics. Yeah. So you're like, I not only, I, that's why I acknowledge not only have I fully consumed all the Kool-Aid, right. I've also learned how to brew it <laughs> and I'm trying to get it to other yeah. people. Right. Um, making kombucha now. So can you, can you explain that ben, ben. triage and scheduling process one more time for me? Cause I'm yeah. really confused. Yeah. So yeah, this is uh, to interject there real quick. Uh, ben, I just want you to understand that this is how it is everywhere else. So Caroline, yeah. Uh, yeah. continue. Go ahead. So, I mean, in, a, in like a typical GP setting, you it's all appointment-based. So yep. people like similar to like your doctor's office, I guess, because at your like normal GP doctor's office, if you call and say, I would like to schedule my physical with my doctor at X time, you go in, you get there at your time, they usually still see you like 20 minutes late, but whatever. Um, and then if it's something more complicated or requires more testing, they're like, oh, you need to go to urgent care. You need to go to the ER. You need to go to wherever where it then becomes triage based. Right. But yeah. instead, like in vet med, in a GP, it's like you're still trying to adhere to this schedule. Yes. And so it when when people call in and they make appointments for things, the you know the receptionists the the people working up front um they so we would call them caregiver support staff um they take the call and the uh caregiver says oh i have like my cat's been vomiting Mm -hmm. and the receptionist then like they they do have some like Right. You get some guidelines. It's like, I'm going to give you 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like ours is like, it's it's like staggered. So you have like vaccine appointments that are staggered in with what we call sick appointments. Mm -hmm. So like some of the time blocks are longer than others, but they basically like decide, oh, the patient's vomiting. So maybe the doctor will want to do x-rays. So we'll give them like 40 minutes. Okay, I'm, and that's all on the phone call pre-consultation, right? Non, right. non-present. Yeah. So, yeah. like me as the doctor, I come in on Monday morning and I read through my schedule and I do try to read through the histories, but all I have to go off of is like, like, like you on the board, you with like when you're up front and you type in those little notes in yeah. the box that says like why the patient is presenting today. Mm-hmm. That's what I go off of. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. like yeah. the case that I had yesterday. Um, was a very ill cat who was having difficulty breathing. And um, I think they had blocked me like maybe 40 minutes just before lunch. Right. And, yeah, which could uh, span anything from an upper respiratory infection to congestive heart failure to pleural effusion. Correct. Like, you know, because it's, right. it's, again, solely based upon the perception of the person who is making the call and the understanding of the person receiving the call. In many circumstances, neither individuals have any medical information, like <laughs> training. Say, and that's why right. telemedicine will never work in veterinary <laughs> yeah. medicine. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You can't ask the sick, you can't ask the cat, like, how sick are you? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, so, so that's standard, though. Yeah, that, oh, that's like that's like that's practically, I mean, it, with maybe a slight variation from one clinic to the next. Your referral centers yeah. probably don't operate like that no, for no, the no. most part. No. It, well, I would say they even may swing a little bit into that direction. Only, yeah. be, And that's actually one of the big issues with a lot of your internists. Yep. So a lot of your referral centers will have one or two, rarely above two internists. And so the internists want to, and I wouldn't say surgeons as well. I'm not just singling yeah. out yeah, internists. Yeah, 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 just, yeah. That's more common. Um, 
is they'll have their scheduled appointments. Oh, I've had this uh, cat for IBS who's been scheduled for three weeks, and then emergency brings in another patient overnight who needs an internal internal med consultation. Mm-hmm. So then that overnight patient uh, that was hospitalized by ER is now has the expectation of an internal med consult the following day mm-hmm. who may be booked up with appointments from the last three weeks on scheduled stuff. So I wouldn't uh-huh. even go as far as to say that in referral settings, you have exclusively a triage basis outside of the emergency rotations, because then you just, it's basically, it's a hybrid of both a scheduled environment and a walk-in environment or triage environment, which still overlap when you get to one of the other services. So yeah, it's, yeah it, it, but still okay. it's, but, but still it's a perpetuation of an old style yeah, 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 of yeah. medicine. It's, you know, or old antiquated schedule. business, practices. antiquated business practices. So, yeah. All right. So we're going to take this specific <laughs> set of variables and we're going to go back to the graph that you're, you have to make two graphs now. I gotta make two uh, graphs. <laughs> Cause all right. So Caroline, we're going to just give you the benefit of you are a high potential uh, veterinarian. Yes. <laughs> all right. You, you might not believe it some days you're high C. <laughs> high role awareness right. thing might tell you otherwise, but we believe in it. So, uh, did, what, what was that? I said thanks. Oh, oh thanks. you're welcome. I thought she said Ben. I totally yeah. heard Ben yeah, too. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like shit, you're gonna reprimand, him. right? <laughs> no, but, if I was gonna reprimand him, I would say nope. Don't no, just don't do that. Yep. Uh, oh yeah, you don't say that. Yeah, you don't say yeah, that. Don't say that. <laughs> so what you have is in this instance a wall limiting your potential of an antiquated business practice, right? Mm -hmm. So you're at best going to be a backbone to a system that doesn't work great. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Okay. It's a fair to good system. Yeah. Fair to good. Right. Um, Good being top of the the best at the best. (laughs) And now you pair that with, an environment that is um, not necessarily doesn't really have the support system uh, to uh, to fulfill shared purpose and well-being. So you have somebody like yourself, Caroline, where you're a little bit more um, predisposed to kind of that um, the, the the mental anguish of being a veterinarian. Yeah, sure. So just mm-hmm. because of the variables that we had talked about in your tricor, um, there there you have a general. Uh, uh, possibility that is higher than others to um, feel a loss of self-worth. I think that pairs pretty yeah. much directly with the imposter syndrome yeah. thing that we've talked about yeah, yeah, yeah. a number of different things. So you, it just in those two things, you've already just boxed yourself yeah. into yeah. hopefully being a backbone, right. if right. not just right. being an iceberg because, right. uh, because of things that uh, to a point are out of your control. Right. So then mm-hmm. what's the solution? Right. Get control. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And 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 that's where the return on investment part comes in. Yes. Like when you when you try to change things and gain some control and it gets thrown in your face, right. then you're like, well, fuck. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. And it's, and and then, then it's like even, and that's why I said, I think the, the movement of someone who has sort of that low economic to move into being high economic, it needs to be coached or mentored only because like I, I, my, my, you know, the, the, you know, well, fuck it's like, well, if you are sort of knocked off of a investment, you know, meaning like you are really trying, like you're going outside of your bubble and you're like, you know what, I'm going to try and I'm going to, I'm going to really try to invest in this thing. Cause you know, I, I have that altruism and I want to do this. I'm not comfortable doing it. I'm going to overanalyze absolutely everything, but I'm going to go out on my own on this one and I'm going to do it. And then it's, yeah, you're either boxed in, you're kicked over, pushed down, it fails, whatever it is. And it's like, see, that's why I don't do these things. Yeah, right. Um, right. You know, but in that capacity may have been a failure simply because it just, it, the expenditure of energy or the investment wasn't actually in the right idea. It wasn't in the right thing. And that's why I think to take someone who has sort of a low economic and coach them into a high economic, it's like all we're doing, we're like the mentors are like the uh, financial advisors. Um, 
where it's like, let me just show you where to sort of bet your chips. Let me show you where to invest. Um, you know, that way there's a greater probability of success. But again, coming back to it, you have to make sure that you have already identified your goals. And essentially in our context, goals essentially are going to be purpose yeah. and do we have shared purpose and do we have shared well-being and saying all right well if we've identified what that purpose is and then uh we, we dropped we caroline's call yeah oh. just go ahead and grab it okay. uh, <laughs> good old technology go. oh dang that was pretty good too where'd we lose it caroline oh hold on, oh, hold on. Hold we, gotta on. we gotta get on the bluetooth, on the bluetooth here oh boy i can sort of hear you yeah there, there we, we go. go there we go there we go uh where'd we lose you but I don't know. That's yeah. fine. Basically, yeah. I mean, and we'll just have to chop it in wherever. But I mean, basically, the yeah. the, the context was is that if you know to coach out of um, you know being someone who is not it's not a natural tendency to invest into something because you know you're you're not um, it's not a main motivator for you as an economic yeah. motivator is that if you invest in something incorrectly and it ends up being a failure, then you're not going to want to invest in things in the future. It's like, see, I told you I shouldn't have done that. I went outside of my comfort right. zone and I overthought and analyzed this, but I took a risk and it failed. But that's where essentially right. that's where the goal comes into it. Is that are you calling me again, Caroline? No. Oh, weird. Let's see. I'm getting another call from you. So that's where the goals come into it. Is that the goal component um, basically drives your failures. So it's the goals in stone and the plans in sand. So it's mm -hmm. as as a someone who's mentoring someone to develop the economic motivator, we basically say, let's set our goal of shared purpose and shared well-being. Let's make sure in the distance, our long tier four, way out there, that's where we want to go with this. But because you're going to struggle with investing in an idea or having an economic uh, motivator and saying, all right, there's going to be some failures along the way. Some stuff isn't going to go according to plan, but that doesn't mean that we aren't working towards the goal. And that's why I think when you look at coaching someone with a low economic motivator, that's what needs to be emphasized. And it comes back to everything we keep saying over and over and over again. It's being comfortable with failure. And when you when you yeah. when you are when you become more and more and more comfortable with failure, the idea of having a high economic motivator, meaning you're investing in something, it actually becomes you're you're more willing to strategize, you're more willing to take the risk, you're more willing to sort of invest in something that might fail, because the only way you're gonna get towards your goal is if you fail on a plan. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's when I think when I look at someone who has a low economic motivator, it's going to be very tough to jump over into the investment side. But that's, I guess, my story is that I made the jump to invest in myself entirely. That's that's one yeah. of the main stories of Paul. I'm like, no one has ever done this before, to my knowledge, to this capacity with these ideas and what it was. Um, but I was just willing to double down on the economic. I was willing to double down on the investment. Um, and that's where, like I said, coaching someone into a low, from a low economic into a high economic, we just have to make sure that there is a, a realized plan. That's that's or I'm sorry, a realized goal. Sorry. So, yeah, and I'm actually going to challenge your wording on that a little bit. Um, not that do. not that you're thinking in the wrong light, but it's it's more about the um, alignment of understanding what your values are. Mm. So for mm -hmm. us, we yeah. are able to um, utilize a high level of motivation for all seven types of values because we all have one shared purpose. I, I agree. Right. I agree. So for, <laughs> for somebody that is low economic, why would I invest my time, life, you know, money, whatever yeah. it might be in, into this, this into business, yeah. right. Yeah. To serve the patient. Right. That's why yeah. to serve the patient yeah. hits all seven, depending on how you look at it. True. So if, true. if right. I'm, if I lead all political yep. and it's like, I have a, I, I personally believe that I have a ton of great ideas on how to make this happen. 
and I have a now I'm going to seek a structure that if it's all about serve the patient, that's growth mindset. Yeah. That's constant forward. Absolutely. So new ideas should be welcomed with open arms and challenged appropriately. If it's all aesthetic, you're creating a scenario of a high level of harmony within case management. Yeah. I mean, to to be able to do triage as an art form would be yep. something that can really engage somebody at a, at a high aesthetic level. I could do this for all of them. Of course, of course. It's not yeah. necessarily about, like, don't get me wrong. Economic is something that I think people do need to value sure. because they need to understand the concept of ROI. Um, and, and the fact that if you're listening to this and you feel like you're hitting a dead end, yep. like you, you probably are because yeah. you're not actually obtaining any more return on the investment of your time. Yes. Remember every day you show up to work, you're selling your time yes, to absolutely. your employer. Yes. If you are not yeah. obtaining a return on that, you need to go find something else to do right. or to do the yeah. same thing somewhere I, else. Yeah. And I think what both of you are trying to say is that we as a veterinary profession and being very altruistic and having very low self-worth collectively, we aren't taught and aren't allowed to value ourselves. Correct. And so like the whole yes. like return on investment and like having an economic value, it's yeah. like at a minimum, you should at least value yourself and your ideas and realize yes. that like. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, we are we are in financial yeah, debt. We are in financial debt, and we are in uh, cultural debt. Yes, we are in individual yeah. debt. We don't have anything to invest, right? Mm -hmm. That I mean, how right. many how many veterinarians have we talked to? Oh, I have all this debt load. I can't buy a practice. Nope, that's wrong. You know, I you know I have low self worth. I can't invest in culture. Nope, that's wrong. You know, and it's like no, yeah. you have the ability. Like the 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 opportunity for investment is there. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you're exactly right, Caroline. I think for what it is in our industry overview, you've hit the nail on the head. Is we just are of the mindset that we don't have anything to bring to the table when it is exactly the opposite. Yeah. Um, that was actually mm -hmm. one of the last things that I had spoke with Ashley about. Uh, before she had left at the end of her externship, she was like, you know, I'm kind of looking at this practice and, um, you know, there, there may be a buy-in potential and so on and so forth. And her question was, she's like, how do I, you know, sort of show that I am worthy enough? How do I show that I, I am worthy of investing into this practice? So I'm willing to be partner. And I said, no. You are you the you are. are the greatest asset yeah. to bring. Yeah. It's they are should be so lucky as to have you as a part of their ownership structure. I said you are the valuable one, um, and it, right. that, that's you're exactly right. Is we're just not we're just not culturally or financially or you know politically or whatever it is in in a world or a profession or an industry in which we are taught that we have value um you know mm -hmm. and, and that's that's the kick and the stomp of the boot to go from sort of your unfulfilled your fulfilled to unfulfilled backbone well right because if you see us an environment in front of you where even if you don't have the words but you see the writing on the wall that it's yep. going to push me into being an iceberg yep does that sound like you have a lot of value? No. I have no, the potential yeah. to be a star, yeah. yet the situation right. around me is going to make me an iceberg? Yeah. Well, yeah. I have no value then, Yeah. right? Like, yeah. I, I, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. I'm now powerless. And then what does that push us into? Yep. Drama dynamic, <laughs> right? right? And, yeah. and, and then it's, <laughs> yep. it's just, and that only makes the, the problem child, iceberg, yeah. you know, yeah. dynamic worse. Yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah. all, we, we say it all the time. That all of these variables interconnect. Uh, there's a ridiculous interconnectivity, mm -hmm. but because it all it it all interconnects, like every everything that's in here, and that's why having these high level solutions is so important. Yep. Because you do you you have to kind of think about this from a thirty thousand foot view and understand how these variables are pushing us into this box yep. of a lack of fulfillment, a yep. destruction of self-worth, yep. no a destruction of soft and hard skills, yes. failed bond spectrum, yep. this concept of the Marriott practice still driving the industry even though we have 80% of a market yeah. that could easily feed in a, an entire clinic, uh, right? Yep. I mean, multiple yep. in every area. Yep. You've got all of these variables, and yet we have all of we have these kids that are coming out of school yep. and all they see is a direct path into being an iceberg yes. because the traditional business practice <laughs> yes. 
the yeah. traditional practice doesn't have the infrastructure nope. for them to realize their potential. Nope. And again, they might not have the words for it, no. but the again, the writing's it. on the wall. Yep. And then they see this massive corporate hierarchy that yep. it's either, I'm either going to climb this or I'm going to be the guy that has to take the first free exam right. for the next five years. <laughs> and that's going to so be great. Saying- but then my numbers are going to so suck and they're going to hate me for it. Yeah, exactly. So you're saying you're offering door number three. We are. Yes. We are the we are the third door, Caroline. Take door number three. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. We've referred to it as the paw way. So it's, it's yeah. industry, uh, cor- I'm sorry, uh, tradition, corporate, and then the paw way. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, sorry, I just like soapboxed really hard. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was, that was a good out. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah we'll we'll kind of uh free willy it a little bit uh, yeah, next yeah, yeah. time as well but yeah there um, might actually be an opportunity though i think uh as we move through the star chart um mm-hmm. you know even potentially getting ongoing input uh with caroline because caroline's actually gonna be out of the clinic for a little bit we got a few mentees yeah, rolling through yeah. um but <laughs> I th- yeah i know it's like super cry i think uh, isn't the next time that you're in the clinic when the new spots open caroline yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we are we are like racing to the finish line dude, on this. Forty days. Yeah. It's <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I know. And it's yeah, between That's scary. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. So we're actually, yeah, we're what, five ish podcasts away. I mean, it depends on when our uh, recording table shows up. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we're close. We're within a season of yes. being where we need to be. So, yes, yes. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, Carolina, re- uh, good, good Tuesday. Yes. Do you want to, mm-hmm. do you want to, uh, even though it was a uh, failed uh, intro, do you want to <laughs> uh, crack a hand at the uh, sort of uh, exit here? Sure. Why not? All right, hit it. So thanks for joining us on the roller coaster ride that was this Tuesdays with Caroline. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> nice. Thanks, All right, Caroline. guys. We'll see you next time. <laughs>